Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you can remember a turning point in your life, maybe one situation that could have led down a different path? had not something changed. How many remember you have a time in your life when I say that there was a turning point in your life, right? And if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying in church. We all know that, right? But here's the question. It's not, is there a turning point? Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Who was there for you? Who was there for you? We all have turning points in our life. And the question isn't, are we going to have turning points? The question is, who is going to be there to help us through those turning points? I I remember for me, I I went through a rough time in college. It was 2003. I was at the university, excuse me, I was at Georgia Tech. And I was there at Georgia Tech playing football. Uh, That's what I did. And I loved it. And it was wonderful. And I kind of came into my faith at the age of 18, excuse me, 17. And so when I got to college, I was still a baby Christian, brand new. Uh, I joined the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And as I did that, I wanted to get more involved. Well, I, I became the FCA president mainly because no one else wanted to be. And I was the only one dumb enough to do that. And sure enough, I just said, I don't know what I'm doing in my faith, but I'm just going to take a step. And so ended up doing that and working with a mentor of mine, the team chaplain. His name was Derek Moore. And I remember a trying time in my faith and in my life when I was at practice. I was a very physical guy. Uh, I liked to hit hard, hit fast, and just continue to do that over and over again. Well, in football, how many of you know there's a, there, you, can ha- you can get scuffles. You can get in scuffles a little bit. We don't call them fights. We call them scuffles. Because at the end of the day, you hug and you're brothers and it's just fun, right? But I got into a little scuffle with the fullback. And, and remember, I was a baby Christian, so y'all gonna have to forgive me. I used some inappropriate words, should I say, to my brother. I know no one's done that here before. But I, I just, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I felt terrible, right? Felt terrible. But the worst part about it is when somebody throws salt in your wound that you already have. And sure enough, there was a, a running backs coach and he heard me use those words And for the next three days, he continued to harass me. He said, you call yourself a Christian and you're the FCA president and you're using those words. And every time I'd see him, I walk, I'd try to avoid him. And he'd say, oh, there goes the hypocrite. This was a coach, an 18 year old kid trying to figure out his way in life. And I fell into a dark moment, a depression I was about to quit FCA, go underground with my faith, if at all with my faith. I just wanted to stop altogether until my mentor and the team chaplain, Derek Moore, pulled me aside. And here's what he said. I'll never forget. He said, I won't let you quit. I'm so glad. I am so glad I had someone there to pick me up when I couldn't pick myself up. And isn't it interesting to think Listen here, that people are the instruments that the enemy uses and deceives in order to hurt us. Watch this. Yet people are still the instrument that God uses to help and heal us. 
Don't ever forget that. That this war is not against flesh and blood, but against spirit and principalities. It's deeper than we know. It goes further than we know. And why does God use people to help us and heal us when they hurt us so much? Because it's to show not how terrible we are, but how great God is. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Everybody say earthen vessels earthen vessels. We have this treasure. That's the treasure of salvation of the Holy Spirit that's imparted to us when we say yes by faith to Jesus. And so we have this treasure in earthen vessels, meaning God knows how fragile we really are, (laughs) that we're jars of clay. We're broken. And here's why that the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. That no matter how terrible people and relationships can be, and I know every single person in here has been hurt by someone, but I also know everyone in here has probably been healed by someone. And that's to show the greatness of God. That's why, listen here, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. I know it's small group Sunday and we're launching small groups where we tell people, let's get out of rows and into circles. Let's get out of just being an attender and be a participator as we participate in life with other people. And we tell people those things. But listen here, there are no neutral relationships. What does that mean, pastors? It means this. It means you don't just have like a friend or pseudo friend, coworker. You can label them whatever you want, but they're either pushing you towards God or pulling you away from God. And you might go, yeah, I heard that a lot in in youth camp, Pastor Chris. I heard a lot at youth group. I don't care if you're eight years old or 80, relationships are relationships. And the people you're around determine who you become. Who you become. So the question we have to answer is this. What's the quality of your relationships? How do you know if you have quality relationships? More importantly, how do you get quality relationships? That if, if the quality of my life is determined by the quality of my relationships, how do I get quality relationships? Well, let me just say this. There's no accident to getting quality relationships. I, I was blessed, like I told you, to play football at Georgia Tech, then went on to be in the NFL, played for the Saints for a little bit of time. Uh, I, know, I know we don't really have a lot of Hudat fans in the house or anything, so it's okay. But I don't know if you know this, uh, uh, you know, about a decade ago, we won a championship. I'm not sure if you knew that. Well, we won a Super Bowl, all right? And the great part about that team that I was able to be on was the fact that it wasn't accidentally created. Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, the general manager, didn't just all of a sudden just spin around and go, what about this guy? He looks good, right? <laughs> it wasn't accidentally created. Matter of fact, they created with a handful of guys in 06 and 05 after Katrina. They started with a, hand, a handful of guys, and they wanted to have a core group of guys like Drew Brees, John Stinchcomb, and you can name a bunch of them, that were character-level guys, meaning they were great athletes, but they were better people. Because the foundation of the team that they wanted didn't just revolve around athleticism. It revolved around a foundation of character. Are you going to do the right thing when no one's looking? 
And so in 09, when we hit that high mark of winning the Super Bowl, it wasn't because of accident. No, no, no. Sean chose key people to put into key places to make key plays. Why? So we could become the best. The best. So guess what? You and I are going to have to do, if we want the best relationships, we are going to have to choose them. We're going to have to choose them. That if you want the best quality relationships, you have to choose those. Proverbs tells us that. Proverbs 12, 26, I love this verse. It says this, I use it for my kids all the time. It's great parents, use this. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Come on. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. This morning, I wanna help us. I wanna help us look at what it means in order to choose the best friendships, the best relationships. Pastor Don gave an amazing message last week. If you didn't hear it, go back amazing message last week. He didn't have to convince you. He showed you the evidence of what a small group being in quality relationships are. But here's the problem. We tend to get into relationships and many of us don't know what quality relationships look like. So I want to help you this morning that as you're going out in the back afterwards and you're choosing that small group, that you know what you are choosing. Because some of you may say this, oh, pastor, I have plenty of friends. I don't need any more friends. Let me read you a proverb that says this. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. Hello. (laughs) But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, the value here is not in the quantity of friends you have, but the quality of friend that you have. You see, that's what it's really all about. I've noticed this as I've gotten older that, that when you're young, and how many of you resonate with this? When you're young, you worry about quantity of everything right? You wonder, you want the quantity of friends. You want, I'm going to make the most money, mom and dad. I'm going to have the most cars and I'm going to, and you worry about quantity, right? How much am I going to make? How many kids am I going to, all those other things. You worry about the quantity. The older you get, you realize quantity isn't all it's cracked up to be. More money, more problems, right? But really what, what matters is the quality. That's not how much, that's what kind. You see, science tells us in relationships, this is scientific evidence that the human brain, yes, our brains, my brain, your brain, can only handle five close relationships at a time. Since I've had so many concussions, I can only handle three, and one of those is Pastor Don. Right? Think about it for a second. Like, you can only handle five, you can have a hundred, they say you can have 150 associates, acquaintances, whatever you want to call them, people that you wave at, that you say hello, that you might know their name, but you don't know them. I mean, there's only five people, five, that you can have as quality relationships. Who are your five best? We have to choose the best. If we only get five, church, we have to choose the best. So the question is, how do we choose the best? Well, let's look to King Solomon. He's the wisest man who's ever lived. If you know anything about King Solomon, he wrote Proverbs, which we've been looking at. He also wrote Ecclesiastes. And the great part about I love Ecclesiastes is that basically Solomon is trying everything for us, and he documented it all down. 
and he's trying it, meaning he had like 700 wives. Man, I can barely handle one, let alone 700, okay? 700 wives. He had more money. He had more fame, more wisdom than anyone. And he tried everything. And Ecclesiastes, I love it, is basically his journal about, I tried this today. It was terrible. Everything is terrible under the sun, right? (laughs) We all know that. Like, that's what he's saying. And you should go back and read it. It is fascinating. But he tells us, He goes in, in chapter four, and he tells us about companionship and partnership and friendship. And so we pick up there, and here's what I want us to look at this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse, starting in verse seven. Here's what it says. It says, next, I turned to look at something pointless under the sun. So he's already dreading it. He's already like, here we go. Here's what he says. Verse eight, there are people who are all alone. Listen to that for a second. There are people who are all alone. There are people who are around people every day, watch this, but are all alone. They have no children or other family members, so there's no end to all the hard work that they do, they have to do, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. But they never ask themselves why they are working so hard and depriving themselves of good things. Even this is pointless in a terrible tragedy. What is Solomon saying? Remember, he's the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. What is he saying? He's teaching us that we were not created to be satisfied with riches, but with relationships. He's saying they were all alone. They were working for things, for stuff. They were around people, but never with people. And Solomon tells us why we were created for relationships and what to look for. Here's what he says in verse nine. Then he transitions. Two people are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their hard work. If one falls, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is all alone when he falls. There's no one to help him get up. Again, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm? That though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent and a triple braided rope is not easily broken. I want to take those verses this morning. I want to break those down. And I want to help us know how to choose the best relationships in our life. That when you get into that small group, listen, our hope and prayer for you is you get into a small group and you love everyone. And that you begin to do life with everyone. But remember, you only get five. (laughs) So there might be one or two that you connect with even more. That's okay. You love everyone in the group and you help one another, but there might only be two or three that you connect with and that's okay. How do you choose the best? How do you choose the best in your life? I believe there are four qualities that Solomon talks about and I believe there's are qualities that we need to look at and we need to be aware of. You can write these down. The first one is this that we have to be aware of. There has to be a shared purpose. Excuse me, shared purpose, yes. Someone who you will work with you. Verse nine says that there are two people are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their hard work. He's saying here that when, when you work with someone, meaning when you're in relationship and partnership and you're working together, there's a good reward, but only if you are both working. Because I think the term friend, how many know, we, we just throw that out flippantly. Like you all are my friends and you are my friends. <laughs> 
But we throw that out really flippantly, don't we, in our culture today? Even from a young age, I mean, I have five beautiful kids that are 11 all the way down to three. Y'all continue to pray for Michelle and I, please. Um, But the great part about it is uh, kids, like, think everybody is their friend, don't they? When they went to school these past couple of weeks, if you have younger kids, you probably ask them, like, hey, okay, okay, tell me who you're friends with. And they're like, Johnny, Sally, Susie, you had Billy, you had T-Boy, right? You're like, they just start naming everyone in the whole class. And you're like, wait, is everyone your friend? And like, of course, everyone's my friend. Or they go to the playground and, and, and they, they come back and they're like, oh, who was that? I don't know, but they're my friend, you know? <laughs> You don't even know their name? I mean, whatever it is, they wave to someone in the store. And I'm like, oh, who's that? I don't know, my friend, you know. But we throw it around so casually that it becomes almost meaningless. And what has happened, listen to this, what has happened to many of us is that we confuse proximity with someone with purpose with someone. I'll say that again. That's something. You confuse proximity with someone as a friend, but purpose with a someone as a friend. In my eight years of, of ministry, longer if you count, if you count really my college career, I've dealt with a lot of young adults. And what I've found is this, is that when they go off to college, they don't know how to make friends. And I have them coming back lonelier than ever. And here's what I figured out. The reason is because when you're in high school, you go to class, you sit there for eight hours, you're around people, you go to sports, you're around the same people, and by proximity, you get friends. The problem is when they go to college, they're going like, how come I can't make any friends? Because you're expecting proximity to create friendships for you when it has to be derived from purpose and purpose alone. Some of you are calling friends friends that shouldn't be friends. Watch this. Because you're around them. What if friendship didn't revolve around whether you were by them? What if it revolved around whether y'all were heading in the same direction? In the same direction. Are your friends headed in the same direction as as you? It's why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has with light with dark? What is Paul saying? Paul's not saying don't be around unbelievers. We are called to be light and salt if you're a believer in this world. But what Paul is referring to is a law in Deuteronomy 22 where he's speaking about a a yoke, which is an agricultural thing. Most of us don't even know that now. We don't have that yoke. We don't see what they are. But back then, he spoke that language. And that word yoke was really, you had this wooden structure that was placed on two animals. And they would till the ground. They would pull something, a plow. They would pull something that, that would really put them in the same direction. And the law that he's referring to in Deuteronomy 22 says, hey, you're not supposed to yoke up an oxen with a donkey. Now, if you look at ox, ox are big, strong, muscular, brute force. A donkey, not so much. (laughs) Not so much. And the reason Paul is comparing that, and especially in Deuteronomy 22, is because he's saying 
They, they have different mannerisms. They have different characteristics. And if you have one strong, tall, amazing ox, and you have a small, slow, weak donkey, what's going to happen? You're going to be pulling, and you're going to go off in the wrong direction. And it's not always the strong one that pulls you in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's the weak one that does. And instead of creating a straight line, which Proverbs talks about, what happens is when we get yoked with people that aren't going the same direction, we end up zigzagging everywhere. And our life becomes more chaotic than it should. So watch this. Some of us have yoked ourselves with a donkey and you wonder why it stinks. Some of you have yoked yourself with friends who aren't really friends, you know you shouldn't be friends with, and you, and you wonder why your life is in chaos. You're not going in the same direction. There is not a shared purpose. We have to choose the best. We have to choose ox next to us that's going to pull, challenge us, love us, steer us in the right direction. Well, we want to go in the wrong direction. There has to be a shared purpose, someone that will work with us. Number two, He refers to this. There has to be shared perseverance. Shared perseverance. Someone who will pick you up. Verse 10 says this. If one falls, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is alone, all alone when he falls. There's no one to help him get up. I've noticed something about myself and probably you as well that I can tell you about. Is that starting something is very easy. Matter of fact, it's very exciting for many of us, right? Whether it's you start out reading a book or the Bible. At the beginning of the year, most of you, January 1, you do, in the beginning, right? And you read your Bible in the beginning and you're there and you're like, I'm reading through the whole Bible. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go line by line, verse by verse. I am going through the whole Bible in one year. Yeah, you got to Genesis 4 and you were like, what, where am I? What are they talking about right now? Right, the, it's easy to start something. It's really hard to continue. Is, am I the only one? It's really hard to, to keep going. And I know there are so many times that I wanted to quit in my life, and I love my mom. My mom was a single mom who raised two boys on her own on a teacher's salary in Georgia, and she's an amazing woman who prayed faithfully for her boys, and both of the boys are serving the Lord and loving Jesus. Now, moms, how, you can't ask for anything more than that right there. And my mom would always say this, when you start something, Christopher, that's when I knew I was in trouble, okay? You're gonna finish it. And she, she just nailed that and instilled it in me. When you start something, you're going to finish it. And when there were tough coaches in my life and people that I didn't like, I wanted to quit. Like, I'm not going back to that team. He made fun of me, you know? When you start something, you're gonna finish it. You're going to see it through. Because my mom knew something that the Bible taught is that perseverance does something that nothing else in this world can do. It finishes something inside of us. This is huge. Here's what James says. The brother of Jesus says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In essence, whenever you fall down, whenever you fall into a ditch, whenever you fall down, here's what he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish. Everybody say finish. Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
You see, perseverance does something, but we can't do it alone. And in this day and age, if you are a believer, if you are a born-again child of God, it is getting tougher and tougher to live in this world. Because being a Christian now is unpopular. That means you must hate people then. It means you must, you don't really love that you're a hypocrite. That's what the world says. And so it gets harder and harder. We need people in our lives to help us press on, to persevere. And can I just say this? Perseverance isn't a superpower, okay? It's not a superpower. What does it look like then, Pastor Chris? Many times, it's just encouragement. It's just encouragement. Like I said, my wife and I have five beautiful kids and my wife is a superhero, though. Let me just say that, okay? And watching her have five children was amazing. It was amazing. Because every time I saw her go through the most pain that she's ever been in in her entire life. And women, you're amazing. Let me just say that right now. I've seen five amazing births, and I'm just like blown away each time of like, yeah, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I play football. That's all I could do. I could hit somebody, but I can't do that right there. <laughs> and sure enough, I just saw, and, and men, if you know watching your wife give birth, it's one of the hardest things because like you're helpless. You can't do anything. I remember I, I would always have my position. Each five of the births, I would have my position up by her head because I wanted to focus on her. The doctors were focusing on the baby and her. I'm focusing on her. And I'm like, what do you need? She's like, the pain to go away. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't, I don't know. Squeeze my hand. Squeeze my hand. And then, and then I'm like, ow, 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 right? And sure enough, like, I'm just like, I'm like, you got this. I'm, I'm just encouraging her. And can I just tell you, every single birth that we went through together, she would just hold my hand. And all I would say to her is, you got this. I'm right there with you. You got this. I'm right there with you. And no matter how helpless I felt, all I needed to do was just encourage her to keep going. We need people in our life that aren't going to give us a lecture, (laughs) that aren't going to be a psychiatrist, but are just going to encourage us to say, hey, just keep going. I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says it this way. I love this quote. He says, when we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving much advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a gentle and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. That's a friend who cares. You don't have to be a theologian or a psychiatrist to help someone persevere, to help them lift their hands and reach for more of God when they don't want to. You see, that's what small groups are all about. When your arms get heavy and you're like, I'm not worshiping today. I'm not, I'm I'm mad at God. I'm not going to worship. And they just take your arm and they go, okay, I'll worship for you. If you can't do it, I'll do it for you. 
someone to help you continue in your faith because it is a long, hard walk in the same direction. We need to choose the right people who are help us persist to have a shared perseverance. Number three, write this down. We also need shared provision with someone. Shared provision. You're going, okay, great. Do we get more food from somebody? No, I'm not saying that. It's someone who will be real with you. Verse 11 says this, again, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person keep warm? This is all about providing for one another what they need, not just what they want. What they need, not just what they want. Because listen, I can't get warm on my own, the Bible says. I need someone else, which means I have, I need something from someone because I have blind spots that I can't see. We all do. I, I love marriage because in marriage you have these like simple little quirky, you know them if you've been married for a long time. You have these simple little like gestures where you know exactly what the other person is saying, even though they never say it. How many know that? I mean, if you haven't figured that out, okay, I'm gonna help you, okay? And my wife and I, we have these little quirky things where I know what she's doing and she's, she could be, you know, doing one little gesture, but yet she's speaking a whole paragraph, Right? For instance, I'll give you an example where we'll be out to dinner with friends or family or whomever, and my wife will be eating something, and then at the end, when she finishes, she'll look at me, you know, kind of inconspicuously, maybe they go to the bathroom, and she'll just go. I'm like, what? And she's like. But guess what? I know exactly what she means. Here's what she's saying. Will you please look in my teeth and see if there's anything in my teeth? Because if there's something in my teeth, I need to get it out. Because if I don't get it out, I'm going to be embarrassed in front of our friends. You see, what's, what's crazy is she knows she cannot see it without someone else. She can't see it. She can't see what is in her teeth so that it doesn't embarrass her, so I can point it out and go, yeah, there's a big old leaf right there in your tooth. Girl, get that out now. And I won't even say it. I'll just go. I'll go, other one, other one, over, over, over. Got it. Right? I mean, I, I, she can't see it on her own. We all need this. We all need someone, listen to me, that's going to be real with us and say, you got something in your teeth and it's called pride. I love you, but it's called pride. Someone who's going to be real, who's going to warm us and give us what we need, not always what we want. Listen to me. I know you because when you get, a, a, you get you're, you're juggling a question in your mind of what you should do, a decision, you go to someone you know will agree with you. And you step away and you, you don't even call the person who you know will disagree with you. You go, I'm going I'm I'm to go to Fred. Fred over here is going to say yes to me. I know. Fred, you think I should? Yes, you should. Yeah. See, I should do that, right? When really you need someone to say to you, hey, I, I just don't think that's wise. See, look, look at me. Listen to me. Life change only happens when there is life exchange. I'm going to say that real, real. You don't know. 
Life change only happens when there is a life exchange. When you want to keep warm together because you know you need it, not because you want it. And listen to me, a true friend, a true friend will tell you, listen to me, a true friend will be willing to harm you now to keep you from wounds later. That's why Proverbs 27, 6 says this, that wounds from a sincere friend, not from any friend, a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Who do you have that not just gonna keep you warm, that's gonna get real with you? That's gonna give you what you need, that provision, instead of just giving you what you want. Now finally, number four is this, and here's where we're closing this morning, and I'm gonna wrap it up. Is number four, the last thing is this, is there's a shared passion. Shared passion. Someone who will fight for you. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 4 says, though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent. I love what another version says. It says, and one standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Come on, somebody. If that's not spiritual warfare, I don't know what is. If, if that wasn't the pandemic and what the enemy was trying to do to social distance everyone, come on. I don't know what was. Getting you alone is his goal. Getting you alone is his goal. He knows he can take you out if he can get you alone. That's why we want people to come to church. Not just so that like we can check off the box and say, oh, look how many people we had today. Praise the Lord. That's not what we're trying to do. We want you to come to church because it's the only true community most of us ever have. And now we want you to take a step further. Because it says this, and one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back, I love this, and conquer. You need someone that's going to stand back to back. Do you have friends who are fighting for you, helping you conquer that fear and turn it into faith? Watch this. Look at me. Someone that's going to help you finish. Finish. Because you never know what's on the other side of you finishing. I know for me, in 2003, when I wanted to quit, and I'm so thankful that Derek didn't let me quit, that our team chaplain said, you're not quitting. You're going to come alongside me. Because little did I know that a year after that, there was going to be this girl who would come on staff and her name was Michelle. And she would come on staff with FCA where I was a student, the student president, and, and we would get to know one another. And sure enough, she would leave staff eventually a year later, but we were still best friends and we would keep in touch. We began dating and now 15 years later with five kids, she's my bride. Watch this. All because he wouldn't let me quit. You never know what's on the other side. He was passionate enough to say, I'm not going to let you quit. I'm going to fight for you. Let's stand back to back and do this together. We need someone to pick us up when we fall. Because can I be honest with you? It's what the Father did for us. He picked us up when we fell. Where he sent his son, Jesus. 
in an earthen vessel form <laughs> like me and you to say, you might not have enough, but I'm going to give you enough. There's a story that in 1992 at the Olympic Games, a guy by the name of Derek Redman was a 400-meter sprinter for the British. And he prepared for it his whole entire life. And as he's running that 400 meter in the Olympic Games, he felt a pop of his hamstring. And he goes down flat on his face. He hits the turf. And he's writhing in pain. Finally, he gets back up. And Derek is hobbling now in his lane, still trying to get there, falls again. The whole crowd is silent. And they're watching him crawl along the track. And someone from the stands gets up, runs past security, and begins running towards Derek, who's crawling on the track. And he picks him up, and he puts him on his shoulder. It was Derek's dad. They ran all the way from the stands to pick up his son because he had fallen. And his son wanted nothing more but just to finish the race. And he's gimping along and the crowd starts to erupt as they both cross the finish line together. You know what's so beautiful about that story? It's not just that a father was picking up a son who had fallen. Listen to me. It's what the father was saying while he was gimping, limping around. Derek shared later that his father, while he was walking and he was bawling, crying, he looked at his son. He said, you're a champion. You have nothing to prove. And as he whispered that in his ear, as his son's dreams were dashed, he picked him up and held him across. You're a champion. You have nothing to prove. I believe the father is saying today, look at me. You're a champion. You have nothing to prove. Because when we couldn't get to the finish line, the father sent his son to finish it for us. And now we get to have others in our life and some of us get to be that person. They get to pick somebody else up and go, you're a champion because God said you're a champion. You got nothing to prove. Because this, listen to me, relationships aren't just a part of Christianity. Relationships are the point of Christianity. It's not just like, oh, I'm, I don't have time for small groups. It's a little inconvenient. I'm just busy right now. We got a lot of stuff, Pastor Chris. If you saw my calendar, it is full. I get it. But Jesus didn't die so you could be busy. Come on. Jesus didn't die so he could come to church for an hour, hour and a half. Jesus died on a cross and gave us life so we could have a relationship with him, watch this, and with others. 
For those of you, maybe you have a relationship with God. Your next step is to have a relationship with others. To begin to walk with people who have a shared passion, a shared purpose, shared perseverance, and shared provision together as you walk and do this life together. I don't know where else you can find that except for the church. Military is a great place where you find brotherhood. Sports is another great place you find camaraderie. But there is nothing like the church where you find family. Because watch this. Spirit is thicker than blood. My prayer, our prayer for you today is as you go back and you sign up by faith into a group that you're just going, God, you're going to meet this need. There's going to be friends in there that I'm going to find. Some of you have been lonely for a while looking forward to this. Now is your chance. Now is your chance to say, I'm taking a step of faith in God. You're going to meet me with that person, a divine relationship. You bow your heads. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the faith that is being ignited in this room for people to take their next step in small groups, God. Thank you. This semester, this season is going to be a time where you're going to use many people in here to be that friend to somebody else that they need, God. And many people will receive ministry and ministering on their hearts because of the friend that they're going to begin to receive. I pray for divine, supernatural relationships to form in this church, God. I thank you that you meet every single need. Thank you, God, that you're whispering in our ear when we can't get up here, champion. You have nothing to prove. God, that doesn't make us not want to do anything. It makes us want to get up and do everything. There is freedom in that. So, God, we bless them right now. Lord, I I pray for those that don't know you this morning. There are those in this room that have never given their lives to Jesus. And this morning, God, I just feel the urge, the need to offer that to them. That they've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they've come to church. Maybe they've been Protestant or Catholic. Maybe they've been baptized. Whatever it is, christened. Those are all great things. But that's not what gets us into a relationship with you. It's just saying yes to a relationship with Jesus by faith, being born again. It doesn't happen on your own. Now, some of you might be asking, Pastor, how do do I do that? How do I begin a relationship with Jesus and be born again? It's as simple as ABC. A, we just admit we're sinners. All of us, we're not enough. We'll never be enough. We're sinners in need of a savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross over 2,000 years ago was enough to save us of our past, present, and future sins. And C, we confess him as savior. He saved us from sin, but now he is also Lord of our lives, meaning he controls the way we think, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we move. It is a full-out surrender of lordship to Jesus Christ that we are going to surrender our friends him. And if you're in here and you go, Pastor Chris, I've never prayed that prayer. I've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. I want to offer that to you this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front. But on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, "Uh, today, 
I want to be born again. Would you include me in your born again prayer? I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. Simple prayer. But if you go, Pastor Chris, that's me. Would you, would you include me in that prayer? I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, God has called you here. Two, God is calling you home. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. Just wave it at me. I see you. One, two, three, four, five. Awesome. Six, seven, eight. I see you. Nine. I see you up there. Awesome. Raise your hand high. Don't be ashamed. Awesome. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. The last 30 seconds is for those who said, I should have raised my hand, Pastor Chris. I should have raised my hand. Would you include me in that born again prayer? If you raised it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. Jesus only died once. You only have to raise your hand by faith once. But if you said, Pastor Chris, that's me. Include me in that born again prayer. I want you to raise your hand now. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, church, with all those that raise their hand, let's say this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give it up for all those who prayed that prayer. Come on, guys.